engaging in those moments with us. I want to say hello to all of you who are watching on television or online. Thank you for tuning in today. We've been in a series entitled In This House. And in this series, we've been looking at the five aspects of the Christian life that are absolutely essential. And we started off with worship, how that worship is our passion. And then in week two, we talked about how that community is our priority. Week three, we talked about how that serving is our privilege. Last week, we talked about how that growth is our plan. We don't just, you know, wish growth happens. No, it's a plan. We're planned to grow. And today we're going to talk about mission how that mission is our purpose. And this is really going to be a bridge sermon that's going to bridge the end of In This House series and kick us off with what we're calling 50 Days of Mission starting next week. I'm so excited about it as we kick off a whole year of missions. But before we jump in today, uh, I want us to do what we do each and every week, and that is remind ourselves that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than just us who call Fraser home, and we want to pray for and lift up another local church. And today we're going to pray for the Church of Eastern Oaks and their pastor, Daniel Gillenwater. And so as we prepare to receive what God has for us this morning, let's lift them up as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we come in this moment so thankful for your presence that's in this place. And Lord, in this moment, we just pause and we lift up the Church of Eastern Oaks and we just pray your blessings on them. Lord, we pray your blessings on their pastor and their leaders as they continue to build your kingdom. Would you inspire their mind in these difficult days? And Lord, now we ask that you would speak to us. As we are talking about this great theme of mission, I pray that we would see this is not just a good idea, that this is your heartbeat. May it be ours. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. In the Middle Ages, God spoke to a young man who lived in the Italian city of Assisi. And God said to St. Francis, as we know him, he says, I want you to repair my church. Repair my church. St. Francis went on to become a leader of one of the most significant monastic orders in the Catholic Church. And the impact of Francis' words and life echo throughout the century and influence people even today. If you fast forward in time just a little bit to the 16th century, the world was changed by the Protestant Reformation that is, was in many ways started by Martin Luther. Martin Luther was an ordinary priest from a small corner of Germany, and yet God used him in powerful ways. And, and the whole understanding of the priesthood of all believers, not just some, not just a few, but all believers, came out of the Protestant Reformation. It was a couple of centuries later when England was spared from a bloody peasant revolution by an evangelical revival that was ushered in through people like John and Charles Wesley. That revival not only changed England, but it changed America as well. And we have benefited from it. All you have to do is look in the last century to see someone from right here in Montgomery, Alabama, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who had a dream. And this movement changed the face of our country and how we have conversations about race. It's impacted us right down to this day. None of these people were perfect. None of them. But they were passionate. They were passionate about God's mission. And they were committed to living whatever part of that mission that they were called to in their day, in their time. Now, four quick facts about 
this mission that we're talking about. Number one is that we do not create the mission. We do not create the mission that's out there. This is God's mission. God owns the mission. He is the one that has been on mission ever since sin entered the world and separated us from himself. God has been the one on mission. Number two, we do not control the mission. The Holy Spirit controls the mission. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us as the church as we live on mission for God wherever God has placed us. Number three, we are, continue, we are invited to continue the mission. You see, this mission's been going on a long time. This mission has been going on long before us, but now our generation, we are invited to come into this place and to take up the mantle and continue to reach people for Jesus Christ. But if that's going to happen, number four is also true, and that is we must cultivate a missional heart and mindset. We must cultivate a missional heart and mindset. And this is the task of every Christian, both as individuals and then us as a church as well. We have to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, do I really have this missional heart and mindset and outlook on life? Now, you may say, why in the world is that even important? That's a great question. The mission of God is so important because God's heart remains unchanged. God's heart remains unchanged. You see, even though it has become cliche in our culture, John 3.16 is still true. It is still true that God so loved the world that he gave his only son and that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is still true today. It was Jesus who said in Luke 19.10, I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is still seeking and he's still saving those who are lost. That part of God does not change. It will not change until every person knows him. There's this image that we see in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 5.9. It says, because you, Jesus, were slain, and with your blood you purchased people for, for God from every tribe, every language, and people, and nation, every one of them. And this mission is still going on. And people like you and people like me were invited into it. But we have to cultivate it in us. You see, what we do so naturally is we become so inward focused. We just look in. We turn in. It's all about me. It's all about what I want, what I get. And we have to constantly remind ourselves that God has given us a mission. And the mission is so important. And it's so important because of this reason. Five billion people. Five billion people, that's billion with a B, do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ on this planet. That is two-thirds of the world's population. Five billion people. And what is God's answer to five billion people not having a relationship with him? God's answer is you. God's answer is me. God's answer is this thing we call the church. And he calls us to continue this mission so that we may reach as many people as possible for him. You see, Jesus, just as John 3.16 is still very much true today, Matthew 28 is as well. When Jesus looks at his followers and he says, go, go and make disciples of all nations. Don't leave any of them out. Every single ethnic group, go to all of them. 
Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you, which includes this commandment, by the way. It's still true for me and for you. The text that we just read in Acts chapter 1, the beginning right here of what the Holy Spirit is about to explode on the world and do, it, it starts with Jesus' words, you will be my witnesses. Not you might be, not you could be, not it's a really good idea, not if you get time to do this. No, 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 you will be my witnesses. The church will witness. The true church will witness. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, I'll never forget being in Israel. And we were about to leave, been on a mission trip, we were about to leave, and right before we left, Dr. Jack Sarah said, he said, I want to pray for y'all. And he said, I want to pray something that you've heard and you've preached about a whole lot. He said, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to mean something different this time. I didn't know what he was talking about. He put his hands on us, and he prayed, and he quoted Acts 1-8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The thing about that prayer was he was praying that over us in Jerusalem. And he said, now I want you to go to the ends of the earth. We just call it America. And be a witness. And that is still true for me and you. We are called to be a witness. So how are we going to do this? Fraser has three strategies that we're working on. There are three things that we want to do in order to help reach the nations. Number one, we want to pray. We want to pray fervently for disciples, leaders, and nations. And prayer is not just an add-on. Prayer is not just something we add on to the mission. It's something that fuels the mission. You see, whenever people start praying and you get really close to this God, and all of a sudden, the more you get closer to God, the more you love not only God, but you start loving who God loves. And so prayer fuels the mission, and it has to start with prayer. Number two, we want to equip disciples to be a winsome witness in the world. We want to equip disciples to be a winsome witness in the world. That's what the next eight weeks are going to be about. You and I are going to go on a journey where we are equipped to be a witness in the world around us. Number three, the third strategy is we want to partner with organizations and individuals to equip disciples to spread the gospel. Throughout this whole year, this whole school year that we're in, 2021 to 2022, you're going to actually get to hear from our mission partners in a variety of ways through written material, but also getting to meet them. We want to have, we're going to have a local missions conference on October 17th uh, right here on Sunday morning. You're going to get to meet tons of our local partners. God willing, in February, February 23rd to 24th, Elizabeth's in the room. She can correct me if that's wrong. I think that's right. 23rd to 27th, I knew it was, didn't sound right. There we go. Um, we're going to have a global missions conference, and we want to bring in all of our partners in again if we can do that. And again, you're going to get to hear from people who are living this out all around the world. But a part of what we want to do over these next eight weeks is we want to equip ourselves. What does it mean? What are the qualities that we need to live on mission for God? And there are eight of them. And what I'm going to do is go ahead and give them to you this morning. 
I also want you to know that as we're in here talking about these eight qualities and exploring them over these next eight weeks, our student ministry and our kids' ministry are also going to be doing the same material and covering the same topics so y'all can talk about them at home. Not only that, whenever we preach a sermon on Sunday morning, we're going to follow it up with a Wednesday night workshop how that you can go deeper and apply this to your life. But here are the eight. I want to give them to you this morning. Number one, if we're going to live on mission for God, it all starts with intimacy with God. We have to have an intimate relationship with this God who created us and loved us and, and sent his son to die for us. And God is looking for men and women who will serve out of an intimate relationship with him. In Romans uh, 8.15, that's that famous verse that tells us that the spirit that you received is not a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That Abba Father there, that is intimate language. That's how God wants us to have our relationship with him. He's not just the God who created everything and backed away from everything, but he is our Father, and we are to live with him as such. In order for us to have an intimate relationship with God, it takes two things. Number one, it takes intentionality, and it takes intentionality over time. Over time. There's no quick fix to this, just like growing in any relationship. It takes us being intentional, engaging God, but also engaging God over time. Now, you may say, Chris, I'm, you know, I'm really far from God right now. I'm really not sure about this whole intimacy thing. It's okay. You can start today. You can start today and live into that relationship more and more today and go deeper today. You may say, Chris, I'm walking with God closer than I've ever walked with him in my life. Great. Keep going. Keep going. Because your relationship with God is very important. The reason? Five billion people. People need you. People need you to have a strong relationship with God so that they can see it and it'll be a witness to them. So it starts with intimacy. Number two is that we have to have passion for the harvest. It is true, as Jesus said, that he came to seek and save the lost. It's also true that that same Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you into the world. It was Jesus who said in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We have to have a passion for what God has a passion for. We have to have a passion to reach people. And until all people are reached with the gospel, every single Christian, if indeed you call yourself a Christian, every single Christian is challenged to accept the privilege and responsibility to share the good news. And this is something we don't get to opt out of. This is something we don't get to retire from. This is our mandate right here, right now. And the question is, do we have a heart for that? Are we cultivating that heart? where we have a passion for the harvest. So it starts with intimacy, passion. Number three is that we have to have visionary discipleship. Visionary disciple, discipleship. Not just random discipleship. Visionary discipleship. In Habakkuk 2.2 in the Old Testament, it says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he, so he may run who reads it. Let it be clear. Let it be clear so that when you know what the vision is, you can run with it. You see, our challenge that we have is, do we actually know what our life vision statement is? Let me ask you this. What about your family? Does your family have a vision statement? Why does your family, a Christian family, if it is one, why does your family exist on this planet? 
See, a lot of times we just live life so random, and we, we just kind of like, well, maybe God will use me here, maybe God will use me here. Well, what, what, if we, what if we say, God, what is your vision for my life, but also what is your vision for my family's life, and how can we live on mission for you? You know, whenever I first got here, I began to pray, okay, God, what is, what is the vision that you have for me in this place? And it took me a couple of months to articulate it. I remember I shared it with the lead team uh, at the end of last year. I really believe that God's vision for me here is to inspire and organize a multi-generational movement of people who will love God and love their neighbor as they love themselves. And all of those words matter. I want to inspire it. I want to organize it. I want to work to that end. But it's a multi-generational movement. It's not just one generational. It's not just young people. It's not just old people. It's all people. Multi-generational movement of people who will love God and love their neighbor as they love themselves. And we have to get to that place where we articulate that so that we can live into it. You're never going to live into something you can't articulate, right? So it's visionary discipleship. Number four is that we want to engage in culturally relevant evangelism if we're going to live on mission for God. This is the big question that everybody freaks out about. It's like, I don't know. I don't want anybody to ask me anything about my faith because, you know, I'm not sure what to say. Well, we, we need to know what to say. If you really believe in this thing called heaven, you really believe in this thing called hell, you believe that Jesus is the difference between heaven and hell, then we need to know how to talk about that, right? Sounds kind of important to me. Maybe even eternally important, right? And so we have to come to that place where we can say what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 22. He says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I have to learn to speak the language of my culture, the culture that I live in, the way people can hear and understand this good news because it really is good news. It really is good news. And we don't have to complicate it. If someone were to walk up to you and say, tell me about God, what would you say? If someone were to walk up to you and say, hey, you seem to be a Christian. Tell me, what does it mean to be a Christian? How can I become a Christian? What does that look like? What does that mean? What would you say other than let me go get the preacher? Right? These are questions that the world is asking, and we need to be able to answer them in a relevant way. Number five, if we're going to live on mission for God, there has to be multiplication of disciples. Multiplication of disciples. You see, every generation of Christians are called to raise up the next generation so that they can raise up the next generation, so that they can raise up the next generation. And by the way, right now we're kind of losing that battle, if you haven't noticed. We're losing. We're not living into 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. Paul says that I want to... Timothy, take the message I've imparted into you and imparted into others so that they can impart it into others so they can impart it, impart it into others and on and on and on this goes. So many times we think about our physical legacy, right? Our children, our grandchildren and what, you know, what legacy that we are leaving behind. We also have a spiritual generational legacy that we are leaving behind where someone has reached you, someone has impacted you with the gospel. Now the question is who are you impacting and who are they impacting? You see, ministries and mission work die for two reasons. Either number one, God says it's time for it to end, or number two, we do not do our job in raising up leaders to continue the mission or the ministry. Those are the two reasons why they die. You see, my responsibility is twofold. Number one, I'm a Christian, which means I'm trying to look for, be on the lookout for, who are people that don't know God that I can help bring them into a relationship with God. Secondly to that, I'm a pastor. 
So the question is, I'm on the lookout for who is God calling, who has God placed his hand on and anointed and is raising them up to be a pastor because we are called to reproduce ourselves, both as Christians but also as leaders, whatever that looks like. And we have to ask those questions and realize this faith that we have, we must pass on and raise up the next generation. So we have to multiply ourselves. Number six is family priority. We need strong, healthy families. Strong, healthy families. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We have to remember that God established the family before he established Israel. God established the family before he established the church. So it's no shock that the thing that's under attack the most today is what? The family. That's right. The family. And guys, this attack, it's been going on since like Genesis 3 and 4. Right? But we have to rise up and meet the challenges of our generation here and now. And family has to be a priority so that we can live on mission together. Sometimes we think you either focus on your family or you focus on the mission. No, it's both. And we need healthy, strong families who can live on mission for God. Number seven is that topic of faithful stewardship. We have to learn to be stewards of our whole life. And I know as soon as I say that word stewardship, you think, oh, here it comes. About to say something about money. Yep, I am. But it's more than money. It's more than money. You see, your time is a gift from God. Everything that you have is a gift from God. The gifts, the talents that you have, they are gifts from God, and so is your money. And it's not yours. And we have to learn to be faithful with all of our life, the totality of it, so that we can maximize our impact in the kingdom of God. Because we all want to hear one day what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 23. We want to hear those words that are well done, good and faithful servant. We all want to hear that. You are faithful with just a little things, a few things. Oh, you're going to have so much more. Enter into the joy of your master. We want to hear those words. But in order for that to happen, we have to learn to be faithful stewards of all of our life and ask the question, how do we live generous lives here and now that reflect this generous God that we have? And we have to take inventory and see, how am I using the gifts that God has given me, all of the things that God has given me in life? So we have to be faithful stewards. Number eight, we're going to end this series by talking about integrity integrity because God has called us to live holy lives before him and to others be accountable to him and to others and when it comes to holiness when it comes to integrity it not only glorifies God it protects us from stumbling and not only protects us from stumbling it is a, one of our strongest witnesses to the people around us Paul at the end of his life was writing 2nd Timothy in 2nd Timothy 4 7 he says I have fought the good fight I fought the good fight. The word good in a first century Jewish context is synonymous with godly. I have fought the godly fight. Well, you can, you can fight a lot of fights in life, right? You can fight a whole bunch of them. He says, but I fought the good fight. God's fight, winning people to him. I have finished the race, the race that was marked out for me, and I have kept the faith every step of the way. And you and I want to be able to say that one day. We did it as well. We fought the good fight. We finished the race, and we kept the faith. And so it's intimacy, passion, vision, evangelism, multiplication, family, stewardship, and integrity that are going to move us forward as we go throughout these 50 days of mission. In your sermon notes, I put in there, 
well, not I, Ken did, uh, we put in there uh, an assessment so you can kind of see where you are right now. Where are you in your relationship with God? Do you have a passion for the lost? And on and on it goes. And I encourage you either today or sometime this week to sit down, either you as an individual or maybe you as a family, and just ask that question and be honest out loud. Just have that sobering moment of this is where I really am right now and see how God moves throughout these 50 days. Listen, I know a lot of times we hear numbers like 5 billion, two-thirds of the world's population, and we think, okay, how in the world can I be a part of that? How in the world, you know, I just work a job, and, you know, I'm not a preacher. I didn't go to seminary, right? I hear that one all the time. Let me tell you something. Cemetery is not that good. When you have a Bible and the Holy Spirit, hmm. You ever heard of a guy named William Carey? 17th century Englishman. You know what William Carey's job was? He made shoes. I don't have an object lesson for today, so my object lesson is your neighbor's shoes, so you can look at them. He made shoes. And he was a layperson, which meant he was not ordained clergy. He made shoes, not clergy. God spoke to him and said, I want you to go to India. I want you to go reach people in India for the gospel. Today, Kerry is known as the father of the modern missions movement. And in his lifetime, he saw countless people come to Christ. And millions more have been impacted because of what he did. It was William Carey who said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. What would it be if we did that? What would it be? If we actually expected great things from God and we dared to have the boldness to attempt great things for God. I'm going to be praying throughout this series, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says this. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, it is at work, to him be glory in the church. That glory being be on display in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, every one of them, forever and ever. Amen. My prayer is that we would live into that, that we would dare to believe that we could expect great things from God and attempt great things for God, and then we could watch as God does immeasurably more than we could ask or we could imagine. We have this mind-blowing God who can do amazing things with surrendered people. And if we dare to live into that, the world will never be the same. And so let it be so. Right here. Right here. With ordinary people like me and ordinary people like you. And let's see what God can do. Amen?
Father, we thank you. We thank you because you absolutely love your mission. And you love your mission not for the sake of mission, but you love it because you love people. And Lord, I pray that we would love not just you, but love those that you love. And I pray that we would lay down our life, that we would live surrendered lives so that some way, somehow, we could be a part of fulfilling your mission. Lord, may we not neglect our responsibility for our generation. Lord, may we not lay down on the job. May we not be satisfied with just maybe one day going to heaven. May we take others with us because you have promised that it could happen. May we not just sing songs like we did just before I stood up here and they just kind of make us feel good. But may we believe that you are sending us. So here we are, Lord. Send me.